0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning, and I want to start by just stating um, that I'm so grateful for God's providence Here's what I mean, it has nothing to do with my sermon. Here's what I mean, is I was actually scheduled to preach in this series last week, Um, and you know that we had view of a call and so we changed and adjusted the schedule, which was really awesome and the Lord knew what he was doing because I've been at youth camp with students since Friday and I drove back home yesterday to preach today and I got to sleep in my own bed, (laughs) I got to shower, in my own shower, and I am, I was not in a room, and if you've, how many of you have ever been to youth camp or pre-teen camp before? You, you know what I'm about to say. This is true, and this is not to discourage anyone from ever serving the Lord in this way, but within 24 hours in the cabin that I'm in, okay, there's things growing <laughs> that I never knew could grow that fast. It's nasty. Um, but it's a blessing um, to get to be in air conditioning and with you this morning. Um, I'll drive back this afternoon and go and spend time um, again with the students. And so it's good to be here this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our series, As It Is in Heaven. And we're we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches and preaches And he proclaims, these are the kind of people that that we ought to be. These are the characteristics, the things, the lifestyles, the way we as Christians should be in this world. And we've talked about a lot of things in the last couple of weeks. We've looked at the Beatitudes. We've looked at Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He actually came to fulfill the law. that that the law was actually pointing to these individuals and to us that we cannot accomplish righteousness on our own. We we need Jesus. We can't do this. A couple weeks ago, Logan, our pastor, led us in looking at anger. This week, we're dealing with a hard passage, a challenging passage, verses 27 through 30. Jesus dealt with it. He talked about actually this sin of lust a lot of different times, in a lot of different ways. The Bible, from cover to cover, particularly, specifically New Testament, talks a lot about sexual sin. Today's going to be challenging, but as we just sang, I want to point to what is far better, and that's Jesus and His grace. And it's mercy. So as we look at this, before we dive into the text, I, I can't think of any topic that's maybe more pressing than this. As we think about our society, as we think about what is destroyed and is destroying homes, some even within this place right here. Adolescents and adults alike, this particular sin is killing us. Most of you are aware of the allegations and the things that have come out with the SBC, and let me say, it's not just within the SBC. It's in a lot of denominations. And church, if I can say one thing to us this morning before we dive into this and really look at the text, we need to be better in this. We've got to be better, all of us. Not just pastors and ministers, all of us. We need to be better. And so this is going to be a day that we look at a sin that is characterizing our culture, torturing our brothers and sisters in Christ, destroying homes. And I'm going to end by giving us a beacon of hope. There's hope, there's victory that can be won in this battle. We need freedom from the sin of lust. So let's look at our text. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand in the honor of reading of God's word. Matthew 5, verse 27 through 30. Jesus continues teaching and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adul- adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body Go into hell. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, these words that you spoke long ago are just as true and just as challenging for us today. Lord, there's many within this room right now, and I know this to be true, that are battling the sin of lust that are struggling daily. Some of us within this room have overcome this battle and we're still fighting. And God, I pray as your scripture says that we need to be careful lest we think we're standing because we'll fall. So God, all of us, male, female, young, old, need this word today. And so God, help me as I, as I speak your truth And help all of us to experience the victory that we have in Jesus today and tomorrow and for the days to come. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to do three things this morning with this text. First, I want to look at what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying in this Sermon on the Mount, in particular, to lust and adultery? What is he saying? That's the first step. Secondly, we're going to look at what is he implying? So he said it, now what does it mean? What are the implications that we can take from these few verses? And then lastly, we're going to put what he's saying and the implications, and we're going to put them together, and then we're just going to be personal, if you will, for a moment and apply it, okay? So what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus implying? And then lastly, how do we apply it to our daily lives, okay? We ready? All right, here we go. What is Jesus saying here? I want you to keep your Bibles open because we're going we're to point back to it. What is Jesus saying? He starts by saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So he said that if you look back from a few weeks ago that Logan brought us through, he said, you shall not, you have heard that it's. Uh, you have heard that it was said, that those of old you shall not murder, and whosoever murders is liable to death, judgment. He will go on in later weeks. You'll see this in a few weeks. In the weeks ahead, he'll continue to say that statement. You have heard that it was said. So he's pointing back to the Old Testament law. This is another time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus will quote the law. And Jesus says that the law forbids adultery and i want you to think from the context of the listener those that were listening to jesus when he says these words you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery nobody in that crowd was surprised by that statement actually as they heard him say that they were probably listening and thinking yeah 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 i got yeah i know that law we shall not commit adultery And I've not committed adultery. I know that law. I've been keeping that law. I have not been intimate with someone other than my wife. I'm righteous. I've got that one. All good there. Look at my fidelity. I've never acted in that way. Those that do, that's repulsive. And actually, we punish those that do that. That's what they're probably thinking. Yeah, yep, you're exactly right, Jesus. They might even, some of them in the crowd, they might even be going, I'm glad he knows that law. Right? Yep, that's exactly right. That's what the law says. But then Jesus says this. Now hang on, I'm not finished. There's more. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart. What? That's not what the law says. What? Jesus, what, do you, what in the world do you mean here? Jesus is saying just because you have not acted upon the lust in your heart does not free you from the consequences of the sin of adultery. He's looking at the heart here. He he says here that the sexual thoughts outside of the confines of marriage, just like the sexual acts outside the confines of marriage, those are damning. Jesus isn't talking about an involuntary glance here. If you look at the scriptures there, he says, everyone who looks That word looks there is a purposeful act. It's not just a glance, it's purposeful. I will find the object to feed my lust, and I will continue to find that object to feed my lust. It's a purposeful one here. The heart is filled with adultery, wanting to find an object To which to attach the fantasy. So he's telling these individuals it's when you're looking for the woman to lust after, it's when you're purposefully finding the right angle, the right moment to feed your lustful heart. Now, we'll get into this here in a little while. We, we know how to relate this. We understand what that means, the purposeful look, the look with intent. We understand that language in our culture. We understand that in our own culture, when we, when we go to the screen, the film, the movie, the show, this, because we know that when we get there, we'll see what our heart actually longs for. when we go around the remote on the television to find the thing that panders our lust our fantasy you see it's when we seek the object it's the purpose now so imagine the hearers again you have heard that it was said do not commit adultery yep, it's exactly what it says and I'm, I'm righteous there I've done that, I'm not doing that Right? But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman with with lust has committed adultery. Now these hearers are going, oh man. So my lustful imagination, my lustful thoughts, the consequence of that is just like adultery. What's the consequence of adultery in the Old Testament law? Death. What? When I I sin in that way, that's my consequence, that's my punishment? So Jesus is now telling a bunch of people who've been reading the law, and some of them, most of them abiding by that law, I've not committed adultery, I've not been outside of the confines of my marriage. He's now telling them that the lustful thoughts and imaginations that have been going on in their minds since who knows how long or how often has earned the penalty of death before God, that they're guilty. And this is life-altering news for his audience. And I'm sure that they're thinking, if, this, if what's going on in my mind is building God's wrath towards me and it's punishable. That I've got to do everything that I can do to crush this thing. I've got to overcome this. I've got to fight against this, this adulterous imagination of mine. I must do everything I can to stop this from happening. So, Jesus, how do I do this then? How do I control my mind and my thoughts and my eyes and what I see? What, how do I do this? How do I win? Where's the victory And here's what Jesus says. Look back at verse 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So, Jesus here makes a stern point regarding lust in your heart. He says to his audience that you must be willing to violently cut off even good things in your fight against lust. You must be willing to violently cut off even good things in your fight against the sin of lust. Now, what do I mean by even good things? Well, look at the two examples he says of violently cutting off or gouging out. He says, gouge out your eye. Is the eye a good thing? Yes. (laughs) Are your hands good things? Yes. Who crafted the eye? God did who made the hand, God did. And there's no one in the universe who understands the beautiful intricacies of the, of the human eye better than God. But yet Jesus says here, it's worth losing that than being, and being half blind than remaining in your sin. I crafted the hands. It's better for you to cut it off Than for you to remain in your sin. In other words, you're better off limping, half blind, and free than temporarily pleased and destined for eternal hell. That's what Jesus says here that there is nothing to precious to eliminate from your life if it's going to cause your heart to be pandered in its adulterous desires he's saying you need to do whatever you need to do to combat lust in your heart and he tells his audience it's going to mean cutting off even good things but if that's what it takes my kingdom my way is better It's better. Life is better than death. But he doesn't just say violently cut it off. He also says to take immediate action. Notice that. If you see that you have lust in your heart, if you're battling this sin, take immediate action. He diagnoses the problem and he says, pluck it out. Cut it off. Do not feed the flesh of lust. Don't feed it. Eliminate it. Take immediate action. Eliminate it. Whatever it is in your life, you've got to take care of it. Whatever it is that feeds the heart of lust, whatever it is, it is that feeds that adulterous thought, take immediate action and get rid of it. So this is what Jesus is saying here to his audience. Now let's move to what is Jesus implying what is he implying in this text? I have four implications. If you're taking notes, they, they should end up on the screen, and I'll repeat them. The first implication is this. Jesus traces lust to the heart's corrupt and sinful desires. Jesus traces lust to the heart and the heart's corruption and the heart's sinful desires. Do a study this week and look at all the times the Bible talks about your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Out of the heart comes evilness. What does the world say? Trust your heart. Really? Oh, the heart is evil. And this is what Jesus points to to his audience. He traces lust to the heart's corrupt and sinful desires. He traces the action, in this case adultery, to the imagination lust. That's how he's implying this commandment in the law. He's not concerned, Jesus is not concerned with just what manifests itself externally. You remember his audience? Oh yeah, I've not committed adultery. Actually, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, with intent, you, you have. You're guilty. It's not just what happens externally. And this was a significant portion of Israel's history, if you think about it, they're doing everything right on the outside. If you read their story, there's times in their history where they're doing everything right externally. They're worshiping like they should. They're sacrificing like they should. They're tithing, giving. They're doing all kinds of things exactly like they should. And then you'll read in their history where God says multiple times, stop what you're doing. Stop it. Because I see your heart And it is not matching your actions. So stop. Stop it. You're just actors on a stage. You're just putting on a performance. And guess what? I'm not impressed. Stop it. So it's not merely externals that matter. Jesus traces it all the way to the heart that rejects what is true and embraces what is false. And that's the way Jesus is reading the law. He's saying it's not just external actions here. It's the heart, and that's the first implication. The second one is this, it's going to be tough. Here's the second implication, you will be judged according to the content of your imagination. What goes on in the mind? Remember, it's not just the external. He's not strictly concerned with that. Although there are plenty external sins, he's also concerned about the environment of your mind. He's concerned with the environment of your imagination and the sin that willfully takes place there. All the longings that you foster there. I want to I press here because I think we, in here might be like his listeners. When he said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, yep, got that. You're exactly right. We might be sitting there listening and thinking, yeah, I've not committed the act of adultery. A lot of us are not doing the explicit manifestation of sin, but we're fostering an environment of sin in our minds, and we sit here and we think that we're okay. That's not that big of a deal. It reminds me of a high school buddy that said these words to me. You can look, just don't touch. Oh, really? That's not the way Jesus says it. Friends, our minds, our imaginations are not in an arena immune to God's attention and His judgment. Third implication, your sinful heart is the problem, and radical actions create opportunities to shift the heart's affection from the temporary to the eternal. Now, I know that's a long point. Let me repeat it. Your sinful heart is the problem, and radical actions create opportunities to shift your corrupt heart and its affections. From the temporary to the eternal. As it is in heaven. An embassy. We're to be the people that are salt and light in this world. And so each one of us, every single one of us, are going to be fighting on that front throughout our lives. Our hearts are wicked. They're corrupt. And we must work daily, strategically, intently, and relentlessly to kill the sin of lust. And we don't take those radical actions as an end. We make radical decisions as a means to an end, which is a pure heart, a heart that acts, believes, and looks more and more and more like our Savior. That's why we take radical actions, because they create opportunities for our our hearts and its nasty intent to no longer be satisfied with the temporary, but to look to the eternal. That's our vision, that's our hope, and we make radical steps to cut off any provision of our flesh so to create an opportunity to shift our heart's attention from this world to our king. That's why we do it. And here's the fourth implication. Following Christ means dying to yourself daily. Moment by moment, we must die to ourselves daily. That means that you will have to make some hard decisions, some drastic decisions and measures to fight sin. And if you're unwilling to give up anything, if you're unwilling to give up good things, bad things, to see yourself made into the image of Christ, if you're unwilling to give those up, then you need to start asking yourself some very hard questions. John, in 1 John chapter 2, he says it this way, do not love The world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is one area that we've got to ask ourselves honestly, do I love this worldly passion? Do I love this lust in my heart more than I love Jesus? Am I willing to continue to feed the flesh of my lust more than I obey Jesus? If that's the case, we need to repent. We need to come and plead with Jesus to give us a new heart, new affections, which is Himself. And if you're not fighting against lust, if there's no regard that you are willfully living in sin and willfully rebelling against God, then you may not be saved at all. We've got to wrestle with that. Are you making war against your sin? Are you fighting sin? Are you daily dying to yourself, dying to the world, dying to temporary pleasures for that which is better? Jesus. For brothers and sisters in here, I want to take just a moment if you are fighting. Let me encourage you today to keep pressing on. Keep fighting. It's worth it. It's worth it. Keep fighting. The enemy wants to deceive you into thinking that the, the sin of lust is not a big deal. It's you, don't know, you no longer need to fight. Those of you who have overcome this, keep fighting. Don't settle. Don't think that you've won. Keep fighting every single day. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. Keep fighting this fight. I want you to look at the screen and you'll see 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. It's great encouragement for us as we think about this particular sin, other sins, not just lust, but this one as well. 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 12, it says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And I want you to see this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And here's how he's faithful. Look at what it says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond, what you, beyond your ability. And here's the other one. Here's how he's faithful. But with the temptation, he will also provide, not may, not he'll sit up there in heaven and go, hmm, let's see how he does. I don't want to provide a way out. No, he says here, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, brothers and sisters, when it comes to this particular sin that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, the sin of lust, our corrupt hearts that deal with lust on a daily basis, there's a way out. You don't have to do it. There can be victory in this. He provides a way of escape. In other words, when your heart begins to point toward lust and desires to take a look he promises there's a way out. You have to make that choice to feed the flesh or to resist it and to go to that which is better victory in Christ. There's a way out. So, friends, don't give in. Keep fighting. If Jesus has come into your life, you have a new nature, a new heart, He's given His spirit within you. And you do not need to follow the pandering of your own lust. It's not worth it. And we should be grateful that the Lord has given us His Spirit. His Spirit helps us fight. Gives us victory. Thank God that He's given us a new heart, new affections, new desires. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Finally. How do we apply this? How do we apply what he's said? I want to speak briefly about this. If you look through scriptures, there's passages upon passages with a vision for purity, setting attention on lust and getting rid of it, adulterous hearts, inclinations, covetous minds and hearts. But as we think specifically about this text in Matthew 5, here's some ways that we can apply this and obey him first first you and i must deliberately deliberately reject our culture's definition of what's normal and appropriate we must consciously and deliberately reject what our culture defines as normal and appropriate deciding to reject our culture's definition Of what brings satisfaction and joy and life and purpose, and see that it's empty and fails every single time. You know, one good thing about idols is they always fail. They always fail. You know, the good thing about Jesus, he never fails. Never. So we need to fight and deliberately, consciously decide to reject our, the culture's definition of normal and appropriate. It's normal to have TV shows, and it's normal to watch what's on the screen. You can't control that. It's normal. It's okay. It doesn't matter what you feed your mind. It doesn't matter that you look at the screen and it feeds your heart of lust. It's normal. It's appropriate to have social media. Any parents in the room where teenagers told you that? I've got two of them. All my friends have social media. Well, good. That's great. But I'm not your friend's parent. We've got to reject what our culture defines as normal and appropriate. It's normal to have a phone and allow our mind to wander in social media, pornography. Pornography. It's normal to have a computer in an office behind a closed door where there's no accountability and no one can see. It's normal to read a book series that everybody's talking about, but it feeds our, our mind in this fantasy world that's not reality within the, our own marriage. That's normal. It's okay to do that. See, the world's eager to offer a definition of normal that fosters your disobedience to Christ. Friends, we've got to make some easy decisions here. What I mean by easy is cut out the bad things, right? Cut them out. If you're into a series that there's a whole bunch of images causing you to lust, that's not a hard decision. Stop watching it. Let's quit acting like that's difficult. If pornography is, is on your phone and you're viewing pornography constantly, that's not a hard decision. Guess what? Get rid of the phone. It's okay. Quit, quit letting the culture define what, what is good and normal and appropriate. Rid yourself of submitting yourself to what the world says is good and right and true. Just don't be part of it. Now, there's some things that are good with a phone. I, I understand that. There's good with technology, right? We can talk to missionaries like we've never talked before. We can send money to those that are in need immediately immediately we can do all of those things, we can speak the gospel into dark situations and the list could just keep going on and on and on, there are a lot of good things that we can do I'm not saying the phone's the problem your heart's the problem, the phone's the source I want to just real quick, and I know I've been going a long time, man yeah I have real quick I mean this is real just recently, talking to a friend of mine, a man, grown man in this church, and I love and adore. He's great. We're talking about a month ago, and he's telling me about his struggle with pornography, his fight against lust, and we're dealing with the heart, and we're talking about it. And I ask him this question, which I ask everyone when we deal with it, what's the source Where are you getting it? Where are you finding it? Where are you going to feed the monster of lust? Because if we can quit giving that monster food and feed our affections with other things that are good and pure and right and holy and true, then we can have victory in this. We can win. What's the source? Well, it's my phone. And I look at him. And I said, Well, get rid of your phone. Well, I can't do life without a smartphone. Yeah, you can. Go get a dumb phone. <laughs> get a dumb phone that calls and texts. It's okay. And he, I'm not joking, and this is normal. This is normal. He looks at me and he says, I can't do that. I can't do that. There's too much on there that I got to, I mean, that, basically controls his life. My banking stuff's on there. Well, I don't care. Drive to your bank. Go old school if you got to. You don't have to do this. I can't do that. And then he goes into a list of what I call yeah buts. Yeah, but if I did this, I couldn't do that. Yeah, but if I lost my phone, then I can't do this. And I look straight across the table at him. And with all the love I can, and I say, yeah, but your obedience to Christ is way more important. And you're going to have to take the steps to do it. You have to do that. I know it's hard, but the question is not about it not being hard. It's It's about whether or not Jesus is worth it. So we got to reject what our culture defines as normal and appropriate. Secondly, I'm going to move really fast. Discipline yourself for godliness. we got to discipline ourselves for godliness. Dwell on the scriptures, prayer, meditation, fasting, memorizing scripture. We've got to, we've got to discipline ourselves for godliness. Paul tells Timothy in in 1 in Timothy 4, 7 through 9, have nothing to do with godless myths or wives' tales. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, both in the present life and in the life to come. So Paul tells Timothy, train yourself physically. Your body's important. You need to take care of it, but that's only some value. We're all about value, right? That's, that's, a, that's a good value, but it's not as good as training yourself for godliness. That has value in all things. Paul is telling Timothy here to go to the gym in training yourself to be godly. The holy sweat. Train yourself for godliness. And I think half the problem with lust is that we don't take it very seriously. We think it's okay. It's not really that big of a deal. And I want to be, be honest with us here. Jesus was honest. I want to be honest. If you are willing to reflect with sheer unbelief on an individual's decision to sin in homosexuality, In gluttony, in lying, in murder, but you're not willing to reflect with sheer unbelief on your willingness to take a second look to let your imagination roam on your lust in pornography, then you have not thought carefully about sin. All sin is damnable. And in need of a savior. All of it. Jesus said in the text that lust is as damnable as adultery. And when we begin to shift our entire worldview of sin to that of the Bible, that's what the that's one of the good things about the spiritual disciplines. Is it helps us shift our entire worldview to have a biblical worldview. When we do that, we'll see that all sin is reprehensible all of it. We cannot act as if lust is, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. The fight of sin, the sin of lust is, we've got to be spiritually disciplined people. And as we walk away from sin and we walk from the world and its passions and discipline ourselves spiritually, we begin to adapt ourselves to the coming kingdom and start to look more and more like our Savior. My, my prayer for us as I've been studying this is that we would begin to wholeheartedly shift our mind to see lust for what it is and that we would discipline ourselves, that we would do what it takes to no longer waste time on this deadly, sinful road. Three, govern your heart. Govern your heart. Here's what I mean. You know this as well as I do. You could just be doing life, living faithfully, loving people, just going to have a good time with friends. You've just been re- recommended a TV show or a movie, and all of a sudden, instantly, it's in front of you. Govern your heart. You can hear it. You can see it. The Spirit's giving you ears to hear it, eyes to see it. When it's not right, stop. Govern your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, the scriptures tell us. Govern it. There will be moments when you find your heart which is still battling inappropriate desires and compromising situations that you didn't prepare for. And when it happens, flee, run, get away. It can happen in Netflix, it can happen with books that you read, it can happen with music that you listen to. Be bold and govern your heart even if you're alone and you're the only one let me tell you a real quick story when i was in college a group of friends said hey and i'm not going to mention the movie they said hey let's go let's go watch this movie and i'm like oh okay who's in it never heard of it and they told me who's in it and i was like oh okay that's pretty cool so i'll go see the movie so i go to the movie theater and man i'm i'm one of those i don't know if you're like this Um, You can give me an amen if you are, but when I go to the movies, that involves like candy, popcorn, hot dogs, Cokes, nachos, pizza, right? Like we're not just going to watch a movie. No, no, no. We're going to feed ourselves, right? And so, man, I get it all, right? I'm going to the movies. I'm going to go watch this movie, and and I go to the movie, and I've got all my stuff, and I'm sitting there, and the previews happen, and we're watching the previews, and then all of a sudden, the movie starts. I'm sitting there in a row with my friends. And I'm sitting there, and the movie starts, and I'm not exaggerating, within the first minute of the movie. I know it. Within the first minute. Like, they didn't even, like, try to get to the point. That was the point of the movie. And I'm sitting on that road with my friends, and I'm like, Matt, you're not supposed to be here. What are you going to do? I mean, you got all your food, right? <laughs> what are you going to do with all this? And you got a row of friends. And all of a sudden, you're going to be looked at differently. They're going to think you're judging them. And I get up with all my food. And I walk myself out of the theater to the lobby because I'd rode with them. And I sat there at a table and ate my food, all by myself. And they watched the movie, and it was okay for them, but it wasn't for me. we got to govern our hearts. we got to take the steps necessary. Fourth, walk closely with other believers. Tell them everything. Keep telling them everything. Be open with some brothers and sisters in your life. The light does, not, does a lot for the destruction of sin. Bring it to the light. See, the problem with this is most of us have been walking in, or we've been in the darkness for so long that we've gotten used to the darkness. For many of us, we've been in the darkness of lust for so long that our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts' affections have just become so used to the darkness, or we've been in it for so long, we're just used to it. We don't need to be comfortable with that. Get brothers and sisters around you. Accountability. Those people will help you. Defeating sin is not a work of isolation. Don't try to declare victory over sin alone. Find some brothers and sisters in this church that love Jesus. They may be battling the same thing, and y'all battle together. Fight together. Not with each other. Together. Fifth, and this is a hard one. I'm almost done. Stick with me. Cut off anything and everything that might become a platform for lust. What do you need to cut out? What limbs do you need to cut off? What do you need to get rid of? It's an honest question. Let's make the hard decisions. What if you and I became more more radical with our obedience to Jesus than our obedience to the world and our flesh? Well, Matt, that's just legalism. Well, Jesus didn't see it that way. What do we got to cut out to be the men and women that God's called us to be? Our battle against sin will be unending and unyielding this side of eternity. So let's be warriors. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We've been given everything we need One of my favorite passages in Scripture that I memorized as a a teenager is 2 Peter 1-3. His divine power, not yours, not mine, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And he goes on to say, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. The spirit of God is within you. I want to conclude by pointing backwards to what Jesus said at the beginning of this sermon. Go backwards to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Two verses in particular, 5-6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they'll be satisfied. A few verses later, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the result? For they'll see God. If if these are true, then let me tell you the opposite. Unhappy are those who hunger and thirst for lust, for they'll be empty. And unsatisfied. Unhappy are the impure in heart, remaining in their sin of lust, for they will not see God. Brothers and sisters, Christ is more beautiful than this world has to offer. His promises are better than this world. Jesus is better than temporary pleasure. And if you're willing to lose anything good for Christ, what you receive in return is exponentially better. It's better. Jesus is better. If you'll bow your heads with me, the praise team's gonna come up. If you'll just bow your heads. I want to take just a moment for us to begin to move into a time of response. And we're going to do that by you just spending a few moments in prayer before we sing. I just want you to take a moment to be still before the Lord. Just be still before Him. Ask Him to reveal areas in your life where you have put your guard down in fighting against Sin of lust. Ask the Lord to break your heart for the sin of lust and confess your sin before Him. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know what? I don't I've kind of quit fighting altogether. I've just basically been walking and living in defeat. Ask God to give you a new heart new affections, new desires. Ask Him to show you the things that need to be cut off or plucked out so you can walk in holiness. Then just spend a moment to praise Him and thank Him. You have the Spirit within you that helps you fight against lust and sin. Praise Him for the forgiveness of sin, that His grace is sufficient. He's a merciful, loving God. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Praise Him for that. Praise Him for the victory that's in His name. Father, I want to thank You that You've given... For those of us who are in Christ, that we've confessed you as Lord, that you've given us a new heart, that we don't need to count on our own righteousness, that we can trust in you. God, we can't remedy our hearts, but God, you can. Lord, I pray for each of us in this room that you would help us not to let the flesh think its adulterous thoughts and seek its adulterous ends. God, help us to be pure in action, in deed, and in our thoughts and desires. Help us to take whatever strides necessary to pluck out, to cut off to cast away whatever it is that might lead us into sin. God, help us to be a people that pursue righteousness. God, make us pure. Keep our thoughts, guard our eyes, and may our thoughts and our hearts be filled with thoughts of only you. And for your praise, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, continue our response toward him. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.